Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Leading in a Crisis podcast. On this podcast, we talk all things crisis management, and we deliver that through interviews, storytelling, and lessons learned from experienced crisis leaders. I'm Tom Mueller, and with me also is my colleague, Mark Mullen. On this episode, we continue our conversation around the Alaska Airlines crisis situation, and we're in the midst now of talking about Boeing's communications response to the incident. Let's pick up that conversation now. Um, The other part of this is, again, we only get to fly with the reputation we have. And again, Boeing's priority has always been safety of air travel, safety of their product. They're still digging out from, from some previous incidents. And I just, again, look and wonder why it took them um, so long to communicate when they would have known from the very beginning that this was just going to land, no pun intended, on top of already existing issues with that aircraft model. You know, and that takes me back to the 5 p.m. Friday night incident occurring, uh, which may factor into that. But I agree with you, Mark. I mean, based on on how you're framing that up, the company should be ready to move smartly on this. But I do think there is some fog of war issues going on there as these things play out. Sorry, everybody can armchair quarterback, and I don't want to appear to be an armchair quarterback. It's just that I would advise clients, if they're if they're dealing with issues from previous incidents, they should be doubly sensitive to anything that even smells like that. Well, let, let's just carry on a little bit and talk. Uh, follow Boeing's communications then. So we mentioned that they had their first communications about 1 p.m. the day after the incident. The following day, which would have been Sunday, uh, Boeing's CEO announced a safety stand down for the following Tuesday. And again, here's now the CEO of Boeing fully engaged and working the crisis situation, very visible and focused on safety and making it clear that we're going to revisit safety on our shop floors and across the company. I like the fact that uh, that they came out quickly with that and really uh, they're sort of taking the bull by the horns and and trying to be proactive in hitting the safety message here. Mark, how did you, how did you think that the safety stand down and their approach on that worked for them? I suspect that was as quick as they as they could make it happen. That's not just announcing something. That is announcing something that actually is going to occur. And just the just the sheer process of figuring out how can what can we do and how quickly can we do it and can we safely stand down for for a safety stand down? They had to deal with all of that. So that's where it gets into the fact that in a response, the the physical actions take time because they're physical actions. It takes time to stop a production line. It takes time to order boom for a water incident and so on. There's You can't escape the limitations of time and availability. So so I could completely understand that. And of course, what they walked into is, is public interest doesn't take time and, and communication shouldn't take time. So I, I thought that what they did was important. And I think they probably did as quickly as they could. It would have had more impact had their CEO spoke to the incident a few hours before or even the day before. Um, It would have broken it apart into two parts. First, empathy and concern. And then second, the the same person back up announcing some 
actual steps they're taking to deal with the core issue. You can't say the CEO wasn't fully engaged in this. Obviously, he Mm -hmm. and the board recognize there's another major issue brewing here, and that's churning into the chronic phase of this crisis. One other piece I want to mention about the Boeing communications, Mark, and then we'll move on and talk about um, Spirit Aerosystems. On that Tuesday stand down, the CEO was out on the shop floor at one of the factories out in uh, Washington State, I believe, and you know had a very heartfelt conversation about safety with the employees there. Now, I'm quite certain his audience for that conversation went far beyond just the employees there on the shop floor. And he was talking to regulators, to investors, and customers around the world. And interestingly, the comments that he made during that employee town hall meeting uh, were leaked to the Wall Street Journal, who was provided an audio copy of the meeting content. And so, of course, the Wall Street Journal then has a scoop and they're quoting the CEO talking about all the safety aspects and how critical that is to the company's future. But but if it was critical towards Boeing, it wouldn't have surprised me if it was leaked. And if it was complimentary to Boeing, it also wouldn't surprise me if it was leaked. It all depends on who leaked it mm-hmm. and what they're trying to accomplish. But it is important to understand again that um, Again, we say it again and again and again. Everything you do is public. Everything you say is public. So if this was complimentary, great. But again, it points out you have no control over the words once they leave your mouth. I sort of see this, Mark, as a uh, a tactic from the communications team uh, mm-hmm. to leak that video and that audio uh, because it's just, you know, it's a great message. It's the kind of message you want to reiterate. And interestingly, I saw a similar tactic followed with a, another uh, with an oil company recently who replaced their CEO, and there was real questions from shareholders, from employees: Is this new CEO going to follow the same strategy as the previous CEO? And of course, they didn't want to have a press conference to talk about those issues. But the new CEO did have a town hall meeting with employees. And what do you know? The audio of that town hall was leaked to the FT or uh, another European newspaper. So once again, the messages are reiterated, uh, but we're not putting the CEO out in front of, you know, a press briefing, uh, which would, of course, be out of control and whatnot there. Right. And having it leaked is better than going to one particular media outlet you trusted the most. That's sort of a question because I, I find it interesting if it's, why, why not just release the comments? Why not be public and just post them for all the world to see? Why, why, why do we still, why are we still locked in this idea about leaking things to specific places? Because the other side does it too, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I've been incidents before where you begin to steady drip of emails suddenly found available, different things to try to point the blame. So, but Either way, it accomplished its purpose. It ended up being where they wanted it to be. Yeah, it it reiterated those key messages. And that, you know, was, you know, one of those things that the company really wanted to do was get that safety message out. Now, of course, you know, we're just getting into the chronic phase of the crisis now. So much more is going to happen. But we're going to kind of keep our conversation 
limited to the sort of acute phase of this. Hi, everyone. Tom Mueller here. One of the challenges we face in the crisis space is keeping our teams engaged in thinking about crisis response. One approach I have found to be very effective in that space is using case studies to guide a conversation around crisis readiness. This can be a fun and engaging way to stimulate your team's thinking about crisis, and it can be delivered in as few as 30 minutes. That makes it an ideal addition to a team meeting agenda. One of the services I offer here is leading these facilitated discussions. I can deliver this virtually or in person as part of your next team meeting, and I can guarantee a fun and engaging conversation. If you're interested or want to learn more, please email me at tom at leadinginacrisis.com. That's tom at leadinginacrisis.com. Now back to the show. The last piece we haven't talked about yet, Mark, is the Spirit Aero Systems, which is the company that manufactured the fuselage uh, for Boeing. And do you want to you want to talk about the Spirit Aero Systems and how they communicated in this incident? Well, I think again they they issued a supportive statement on day three. So now we're down to their first statement out on day three. So Alaska got it the next morning, Boeing got it the day after that, and Spirit got something on day three. And given the developments about how that door had ended up unplugged or how that plug had ended up unbolted, um, to me, they focused right where they they should have, which is their own focus on safety, their partnership with Boeing, um, because in fact, that's they are a subsidiary in that respect. And so... Um, they're letting Boeing carry the freight is a good strategy and policy for them. Um, and then they basically serve notice that they they wouldn't have any more comment. Um, that's the only part I'm not sure about, um, simply because um, that always sounds like we're trying to avoid questions or scrutiny, mm-hmm. uh, no matter how you say it. So, um, but at the same time, I understand from their perspective about, you know, they are not going to carry the lead communication on the incident. They're just not going to. Um, but to think that that's going to stop you being approached for more information is is naive. And I don't think they were naive. I think they were just laying the groundwork that they could in the future not, not respond or point back to Boeing. Yeah. And there is a certain protocol around these aircraft incidents, right? Once the investigation is rolling, uh, the NTSB generally has the lead on those. And so communications around the investigation come through the NTSB. So to a certain extent, you know, Spirit Aerosystems is well within their rights to um, stand back and, and say protocol dictates that uh, regulators uh, lead the conversation. And so we will have nothing further to say. But I agree with you. It does come off uh, as though they're just trying to hide behind a smoke screen here a little bit. But there's a lot of pressure on the Spirit Aerosystems as well as, as Boeing in this situation. And it all the more awkward because you've got close working relationships between the various companies in there. And so you know, there's uh, there's potentially, you know, incentive to start pointing fingers at people. But at the same time, we've got ongoing business relationships. We don't want to 
spoil that or, uh, you know, put salt in any of the wounds here. So it can be a very challenging um, and complex communications environment here. And that's clearly what we have in this setting. Hey, Mark, let's, uh, you know, to kind of wrap it up here, let's um, think about what we've seen communications wise from the three companies and how, you know, that measures up against sort of core crisis communications principles. Um, you know, when I think about sort of job one is you got to have a plan. And when the time comes, you need to be able to execute that plan and hopefully, you know, get that first statement out within about an hour. How did, how was your assessment on the companies from those basics, Mark? I think they should probably figure out a way to say something faster. The minute the plane is down on the ground, Alaska should be saying, we've had an incident, we're investigating, everybody's safe. They said all that. It was just later than that. Um, and again, the, the today's equation is, if anybody where this happened has a cell phone and connectivity, then we are right now in a race to communicate. That's a, a terrific point again, Mark, just to reiterate the speed of social media uh, is incredible uh, in situations like this. And, you know, we didn't see it on this incident, but on the Southwest Airlines incident from two years ago, we actually had somebody doing a FaceTime live from on board the aircraft as it was making its emergency descent. So yeah. that was incredible, um, you know, footage to see from somebody on an aircraft that's on its way down. Uh, we didn't get that on this one, but it reiterates the point. We've got to move smartly when issues happen like this. Right. And, it, and it, again, as you point out, it th that information should not be a surprise. It can even go back to, and years ago when a passenger was drug off an airplane because they were over capacity. Um, and the, the media storm, the social media storm that erupted just about as rapidly as he was drug up the aisle. And, and every airline in the world probably looked at that and said, we need to be ready for that. Well, here's a test when something happens, are you ready for it or not? Well, Mark, the next um, couple of principles here I just want to go through with you. Uh, really, one of the most important for me, as, aside from getting out quickly, is empathetic messaging and making sure that you're focused on the people who are most impacted by the incident and showing that you care about them. You're taking actions to address their concerns and the impacts to them and their families. How do you, how do you feel like uh, the airlines and companies did on that score? I think from a public view, they did about as well as you could expect. Again, timing is an issue a little bit. We should know from the very beginning that if something like this happens, our message about empathy should be built in the very front. And by the way, there's something strange about saying that, like we're planning on empathy, but it's a reality. You have to express your heart, your real concern. What we don't know is what happened at the gate. What we don't know is what Alaska did for their passengers as they got off the plane. I suspect that would be a story all in itself. But as far as corporations expressing empathy, it, it was done. Again, it could have been more timely. Agreed. And the other issue I just like to reiterate here is, you know, thinking about CEO engagement. Um, it's always a, an interesting conversation in a crisis situation like this is how quickly should your CEO be pushed out front on things like this? 
And of course, it's a double-edged sword because you want to show the company is fully engaged. But at the same time, you need to sometimes think about holding that CEO back in case things escalate further and things get a little worse. And then you've got room to bring in the more senior executive in situations like this. Uh, but as far as, you know, as I look at this, it, both CEOs from Boeing and Alaska Airlines engaged quickly and assertively in this space. Your thoughts, Mark? Well, I, I think they did. Again, I, I'm not sure what it said assertively because there several hours went past before they did so. Um, I think in this type of an event, I, I don't know if there is any choice but to have the CEO up front. We're this is not a this this is a major event. This this is actually the event they fear, which is something that happens that could make people afraid to fly. Um, and particularly given that, um I think the flagship bearer is the CEO, and and I, I think in the long run the CEO is going to be in front of the media anyway. And so in this case, simply because of the scale and the impact and the attention, um it's an opportunity to get out front and to clearly indicate. And and I think what's coming for Boeing is issues about who's in charge. And there was a there was a lost opportunity there to speak as quickly as possible. This is the second worst case thing that can happen to a, an aircraft manufacturer. And and you know it going in. So I, I would just really look at that timing and see if we can move everything out. Okay, interesting point. I think we'll agree to disagree on that one a bit uh, because I do think they have to give Alaska Airlines space uh, to communicate about that. And I'm actually okay with where Boeing landed on those initial communications. You know, this this brings to mind uh, another example of CEO communications, Mark, in that uh, I mentioned the Southwest Airlines incident from a couple of years ago. And Southwest uh, responded really, really well and quickly on that. And I have a whole case study on that Southwest Airlines incident and their communications, if anybody's interested in hearing that. Um, but they, the CEO, uh, well, the communications team had the CEO on video making a statement and posted to their website within about four hours of that aircraft touching down. And that was, you might recall, that was the first ever fatality on a Southwest Airlines flight. Um, so the company responded very quickly. I was amazed to see a CEO video out on their website within about four hours of the incident. So kudos to them. That to me is a, is a pretty high water mark for communicating quickly in a major incident. I agree. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of the Leading in a Crisis podcast. We appreciate you joining us today. If you like what you're hearing, please like and subscribe to the podcast. And please tell your friends and colleagues about us as well. And we'll see you again soon for another episode of the Leading in a Crisis podcast.